Well, good morning again, those who are worshiping with us online, in the room, in the overflows. Today is a great day because we are here together. And I want to let you know, as I get ready to start to me- the message today, that today's message is going to be what I call a heart message. Say a heart message. It's a heart message because I really want to relay some things that's really deep down in my heart and Kendra's heart as we pray for this congregation and the body of Christ. And so I want to say this, if you've heard me preach even probably more than a few times or you've spent just casual time around me, there's something that I often say when it comes to the Bible and the Word of God and how it relates to us in our everyday life. If you're not familiar with what I say, what I generally would proclaim is that I believe that the Bible should not be just a historical document alone, meaning that we shouldn't just read the Bible just to find out what happened way back then. That we shouldn't just read the Bible even just to hear the prescriptions for the things that we should be living today. I believe that the Bible should awaken us. I believe that the Word of God should show us some ways that we're to live and we're able to match our lives up against the Word to see, am I really walking in the abundant life? Am I really walking in all the things that God said is is available to me? And so as we've started this year, we've been talking over the last month and a half about a group of people who spent three years with Jesus. They spent three years with Jesus, and there was the birth of the church. And when they spent that time with him, when he left the earth, they then took a a turn and then said, okay, now we've watched you. We've witnessed what you've done. Now it's time for us to translate that into being a witness for somebody else to live out what we've seen and what we've heard. And what they really did is they put action to their lives. That's why we're talking about the books of the book of Acts. They put action to their lives. And so in those three years, what they really put themselves into subjection of is the kingdom lifestyle. Say kingdom lifestyle. In this kingdom lifestyle, it's not this theoretical thing that's unattainable that we can't walk in that's only for the spiritual elite. This kingdom lifestyle that they live was really them walking out a few things. They did this. They lived together. They shared meals together. They prayed together. They laughed together. They worked hard together. They even Sabbathed together, meaning they rested together. They helped each other when one person didn't have enough. Someone would step up and make sure that they did have enough. With all of this, they saw supernatural breakouts happen all around them, and they were able to walk in their kingdom faith in Jesus in a way that we're still talking about today. And so when Jesus leaves them, he says, okay, now turn up. He may have not used those two words, but he said, now you are empowered by the Holy Spirit, so go do and share everything that you witnessed with me, and now do that to the world around you. So when the Holy Spirit came, we read a couple weeks ago that at that moment, now 3,000 souls were added to the kingdom. And what I would like to say, I just want to bring this to reality. If three, and the Bible actually says 3,000 men. So if it was 3,000 men, you know usually in church, the men are outnumbered. So that means a lot of people gave their lives to Jesus, gave their lives to God in that moment. And so in that, what we see is that we now have an opportunity not just to stop there because something happened after that. They had a great moment with God, but that wasn't it. What we record in the Bible even further in Acts, I think it's around Acts 16, is that it refers to this group of people as the people who turned the world upside down. 
Now, how many of you know when you follow God's guidance, when you do what he's called you to do, you have potential to turn the world upside down? I don't know about you, but I'm not a person that just wants to come to church Sunday after Sunday, come to corporate prayer Saturday after Saturday, go to small group during the week just so I can live a life that's just simply existing. I believe that just like they made a mark for the world that we're still talking about today, we have an opportunity to make a mark that our children's children's children will still talk about us. They will call us blessed. They will say that I'm so glad that my auntie, my uncle, my grandfather, my grandmother, that they said yes to God because that yes is still rippling through the earth today. And so what we see is that as they started to live their lives and be witnesses to the things that God did through Jesus in that time, they made a mark that we're still talking about in this service even today. And so I want us to be tutored. I say this often, that I believe the Bible is a tutorial for us to see how we should live and able to match our lives up against it. And so let's go to our tutor for a moment. Let's take some cues from Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We're going to pick up from verse 41 that I ended off on a few weeks ago where it does talk about the souls being added to the kingdom. But then we're going to go a little further after that. Verse 41 says this, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to that, their number that day. And so if you don't know historical context, what we've said and what we've lined out is that that was the official, what we call the birth of the church. And in that moment, it was great that that happened but how many of you know there's something called a thereafter? After you hear someone preach from this platform and you get in your car, there's a thereafter. After you come in here and have a great spiritual moment and you lift your hands, there's a thereafter. After you leave here and you're feeling good and even make some decisions for the things of God, there's a life that we have to live. Somebody say thereafter. And so what we're getting ready to read, I need you to pay close attention because there's intentional language in this passage that talks about the thereafter. Verse 42 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Again, it does not take a rocket science to see what's pulled out of here. I even bolded it in, in, in the notes for those who are following along. What we see here, there's an emphasis on they, all, together, any, there, those, What's being said here is that there's something that happens after the church is born, and the thing that happens after the church is born, it's going to take all of us to accomplish it if we're going to see it. And so the question is, what happens next after the church is born? They did the same thing. They did the same thing they did before the church was born afterwards because that's the way that God gave a prescription to how we're supposed to live. Let me line it out just in case you missed it. Number one, they devoted to the word of God. Number two, they were devoted to each other. Number three, they shared the Lord's Supper together, even through communion. And number four, they were praying with each other and covering each other. 
And so as a result of these four things, they saw miracles, signs, and wonders. Can I just get somebody to agree with me that we need a church today that actually expects miracle signs and wonders? We need a church today that does not line out things so detailed and, and make God in such a small box that when we come to church, we expect to be changed, that we expect to be transformed, that we expect people to be healed, that we expect people to be delivered. And so this was a norm for them in this day. But how many of you know that's not really a norm in our day to day? Because if I was to ask you the question, do our lives look like what we see in the scripture, most of us would say probably not. Most of us would say there's not 3,000 people getting added to the church daily right now. Most people would say there's not miracle signs and wonders being broken out. As a matter of fact, in a lot of environments, people are coming to church just to check the box. In a lot of environments, there are people that are coming looking for deliverance still leaving bound. But I believe we can change that. I believe that if we follow what God says, that can be changed. Do you agree with that? So as we look at this, here it is. This is a major key to life. And, and what I'm really talking about today is what does it look like to walk as the family of God? Say this with me. Say, I am a part of the family of God. Let me make this a little bit more personal. In every room, under the sound of my voice, those who are watching online, look at somebody next to you and say, I'm so glad that you're a part of the family of God. Some of y'all are a little timid. Look at your second choice. Look at the person on the other side. Give you another chance to do that. Say, I'm so glad that you're a part of the family of God. See, we talked about the fact that Luke, he wrote the book of Luke, then he also wrote Acts. And what we see is that Luke is describing how the first Christians were to live their lives. As a matter of fact, he's giving us intentional language and instructions of how we're supposed to live if we are going to really walk as God ordained us to walk. I love in John 13, 35, it's a mark of Christianity. It's a mark of us really being a witness. And it says this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so let me be very clear about something. In the day we live today that we can kind of go online and get all types of information, we can go and get a five-step program to actually doing good in life, many times what we're looking for is this prescription. We're looking for someone to tell us what we can't do. We're looking for someone to actually edge out the boundary lines. But it's not enough just to know the prescription. We also need to know the description of how we're supposed to live that thing out. And so what Luke does right here is that he gives us the prescription from Jesus, and Acts 2 gives us the description of how we're to live it out. What Acts 2 does for us is it starts to pull out a very important recurring theme in the Bible. Let me just talk about the New Testament. In the New Testament alone, there are 59 one another scriptures. Just in the New Testament. So I believe that if God said that that many times, he believed in us prioritizing one another. He says things like forgive one another, love one another, pray for one another, live in harmony with one another, serve one another. Let me give a hard one for some introverts. Speak to one another. <laughs> if we could just start there, some of us will be winning. But in all these things, I got a revelation as I was reading through a lot of those 59 scriptures, and the revelation was this. In order to walk this thing out, you need one another. You cannot do this by yourself. 
As a matter of fact, a lot of times we say, God, I want to look like you. We say, God, I want to reflect you. Do you know you can only reflect something if someone else is actually receiving something from you? You can talk all day about what God has done in your life. You can talk all day about the character that God is building. But what happens when you get tested? What happens when that person gets on your last nerve? What happens when, when your supervisor calls you in and, and they're giving you passive-aggressive behavior? What happens when your spouse does not do all the things that you would like for them to do, so you're holding them to an expectation that they have never been communicated in? We have to be people who say, I'm going to let the character of God reflect in me, but I can only do that and I can only grow if it's with another. And so as we walk through this today, I want to say this statement. And I want you to write it down. There was unity and community at every turn, and that changed the world. Let me say it again. There was unity and community at every single turn, and that's what changed the world. So as I was thinking about this, I asked myself a rhetorical question. I said, so why are we not seeing the same holistic result in the body of Christ today? Why are we not necessarily seeing the signs, wonders, and miracles? Why are we not seeing in some places people really coming to God with hunger and with fervor? I believe it's because we've dumbed down the Christian life to a see you next Sunday. We've dumbed down the Christian life to, yeah, come to the service, come to the event, but after you leave here, you can just pick this back up on next Sunday. And I want to let you know, God never ordained the Christian life to be a see you next Sunday type of situation. He wants your Sunday to Sunday to be all about him. He wants you to embody him. We're not saying that every moment you have to be praying out loud in tongues and on your knees. What we're saying is as you walk, as you encounter other people, they should see the reflection of God in your life. That you shouldn't just have unity and you shouldn't just let people sit next to you in this environment. Now, let me go ahead and be real. What I do know as I'm looking around this room and even looking through this camera is that, again, especially for some of our introverts, Coming to church, especially coming to a church with this many people, it's an act of God. Because some of you all, what you're saying is like, I get my quota for peopling on Sunday. Because the rest of the week, I'm going to be by myself. Can I get some honest introverts in the house? I asked you to raise your hands as introverts. You're like, no. <laughs> but the reality is, that's not the way God wants us to live. How many of us know, let me just say this. We're cheating ourselves out of the abundant life because we only want to be with ourselves. We're cheating ourselves out of growing in fruit in other ways because we're not actually giving ourselves to be vulnerable with other people. And so I want to take another step, even as I say that we've kind of relegated this, this Christian walk to a see you next Sunday thing. There's two words that I want to introduce to some and present to others. The first word is orthodoxy. Say orthodoxy. That means the right belief. And then the second word is orthopraxy. That means the right practice. And so as we look at these words and we take note of them, what we need to understand is that there is something that we have to make sure that we do, that we don't just settle for knowing the right belief. Because how many of you know you can know all the right things to do, but you can choose to still do the wrong thing? And what we have done is that we have settled with, oh, at least I come to church. 
And we've settled with a belief in Jesus, but not the practice of what Jesus' words say. And what God is wanting us to do, he's like, don't pick and choose and cherry pick my, my scriptures for your benefit. He's saying, you have to take the whole counsel. Because many people have left things to just be in a belief instead of a lifestyle. But I believe that as we take this on as a lifestyle, Kendra and I, we said this last week when we were ministering, even about character. And the statement that we've lived by for a long time is, either you believe God or you don't. Now, some of us may say, well, well, brother pastor, you don't really understand what I've been through. You don't understand that I'm trying to make it. You don't understand that, you know, I've actually been disappointed in my life. Either you believe God or you don't. That does not mean you're not going to go through challenge. That does not mean you're going to have to stretch your faith. That does not mean you're going to have to work in some things. That means that even if God doesn't necessarily deliver you from a situation, you know that he's able to. Even if he doesn't deliver you from what you think you should be brought out of, he might actually want you to learn something from that situation. And so as we grab this and we take hold of this, here's another statement. If God is really God, live like he's God. Let me say that one more time. If God is really God, live like he's God, which means don't walk around here like you're defeated. Don't walk around here like you don't have uh, access to his promise. Don't walk around here like his word is not true. God's word is yes and amen. He is not a man, period. But let me keep going. He's not a man that he will lie. And so he wants us to grab his practice along with our belief. Here's the main problem. I said this a few weeks ago. We've drifted from a Christocentric lifestyle to a me-centric lifestyle. As a matter of fact, many people, even if you say you're a Christian, we ascribe to the spiritual condition of the day. We ascribe to a new religion of the day. You know what it's called? Meism. It's about me. It's about my comfort. It's about my stuff. It's about my job. It's about my rights. It's about my choice. And God is saying, right here, meism is plaguing us. Because a lot of times, again, we don't even know what we're missing out because we're only looking at what we have. And I want to kind of give you a little tool for your tool belt for a minute. If the scriptures were written today, I think they would be written a little bit differently. I want to read to you what we kind of came up with as today's American version of the Bible. So that same scripture that we read in Acts chapter 2, I want to read it from the TAV. Is that all right? Follow along with me. If the scriptures were written today, it would say something like this. They devoted themselves to Christian influencers, 30-second TikTok videos, and sometimes to a monthly small group, to receiving occasional communion at church, and to praying alone before they fell asleep. No one was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles because there were none. Few of the believers were together, and only a handful had anything in common. They held on to their property and possessions and gave at Christmas time through Salvation Army to ensure that they got that last big tax write-off of the year. Once or twice a month, they met together at church, but their main sermon intake would be YouTube shorts and Instagram reels when they had a few moments to spare. They broke bread in their home solely with their own family, and ate while watching TV with discontent and bored hearts. They praised and showed love to God with their lips while being enemies of all the people with their lives. 
and they never saw anyone get saved except when, they, when their pastor prayed at the end of the service as they were running to their car to beat the end of the service traffic. Let's sit there for a minute. Because I know while I might read that and it might sound like satire to most of us, if we're really honest, myself included, I can see myself in at least one aspect of that TAV. And what God is challenging us in and what I'm challenging us in today is that I believe that God wants to build his church. He wants to build his church in a way that we come outside of our selfish ways, that we come outside of what we have. I told you this was a heart message today because I'm tired of seeing people come in and go out not changed. I'm tired of seeing people come to church Sunday after Sunday and then five years later, sometimes they're worse off because while they may be subjecting themselves to the environment of God, they're not subjecting themselves to the lifestyle of God. And so as we look at this, we have something that we need to change in the world today. Because the reality is, we've really diluted what the Word of God says. We've really diluted what God's life should be for us. If we're really honest, we live in a narcissistic society, self-centered society, individualistic society. And there's a problem when the consensus survey says in America that only 28% of the nation actually believe that Christianity is actually valuable. What I would say to that is that means that Christianity has a public relations issue. But watch this, it's not Jesus' fault. It's not God's fault. It's our responsibility to what? Be witnesses so that people can see the life that we say we ascribe to as valuable and productive in the world we live in. Our lifestyles today, if I could say it like this, should actually make people jealous because they should look at us and say, how are you living like that? How are, are you moving like that? Because I remember how you were way back then. But instead of our lives making people jealous, our lives make people jaded. People should be looking at, us, looking at us and say, okay, now, because you believe, now I believe. But instead of them now being brought into belief, they're bored. People should look at our lives and be able to say, okay, I'm going to pull up with you. I, I know what God has done with you and for you, but instead of us pulling people in, we're pushing people away. And this is not to beat us up. This is just a call to consciousness. This is a call to us understanding there is more than meets the eye. There is more than just this little church service for an hour and a half, and that's all you're going to get in the things of God. And so how do we get back? How do we get back to the fruit of Acts chapter 2? There's a roadmap that God gives us, and I want to just walk through it. And what we're calling this today is the four marks of the church, the four marks of the church. Turn to your Bibles or turn to your YouVersion Bible app or look on the screen for these four. The first mark of the church is the apostles' teaching, the apostles' teaching. Some of you may have heard that it says the apostles' doctrine. And what this is simply saying is that the early Christians, they were Bible-studying people, y'all. They were people who ate the word, who devoured the word. They were devoted to the word because they wanted to know how they were supposed to live in the things of God. One of my pet peeves, it's a very sensitive thing, is that when we're in environment with people sometimes and, and they would talk about, well, well, God never speaks to me. I never hear from God. I always take a deep breath and I ask this 
very informative question that tells me a lot about where they are. I say, do you read your Bible? How much time this week did you spend reading your word? Because how many of you know the most important and the most direct way that God speaks to us is through his word? And so if you're not cracking open that Bible or, or looking at that Bible on your device or, or ingesting the word of God, it's no surprise that our life is in shambles. So we have to read the word. Say this with me. Say, I must be a person of the word. Come on, say it with your chest all over the room. Say, I must be a person of the word. Let me say this. The devil wants you to do anything except for getting in the word. Let me say it like this. Have you ever noticed, especially us that, that, that live those lifestyles where we're not morning people, we call ourselves night people, and you get around the end of the day and you want to read your Bible and you open up the scriptures and you're excited. You're like, Lord, speak to me. Lord, speak to me. You open up the Bible and as soon as you look at it, it's like you have a case of narcolepsy. You start dozing so hard, you're like, where did this slumber come from? You read the same scripture four times. I'm going to just start over. I'm going to start over. And then finally, you just settle, like, Lord, just let this get in my heart. Let this one thing get in my heart. In my heart, I have I hidden your word, Jesus. Why? Because the, the, the devil knows that if you don't know the word, you don't know how to combat his lies. If you don't know the word, you will hear someone say something in new age philosophy that sounds just enough like the Bible that you'll believe that and get taken off course. And he knows that if we read the word, we will start being proclaimers of the word. We will start getting more confidence. Let me say this to you. I didn't say this at the nine, but I believe that God wants most of us to actually start reading the word more. Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And the more you read the word, the more confidence you have in the God you serve. See, some of our faith is fickle because we don't have enough word on the inside of us. And so we have to be people of the word. Number two, fellowship. They gave themselves a fellowship. It was common for them, again, to live their entire weeks together. They didn't just study God's word together. They didn't just come together. See, I was thinking about this earlier this week. They didn't have three services, actually four services. They weren't coming because if 3,000 people are giving their lives to Jesus right there, they're saying, we don't even have enough room in church buildings to come together. We need to do life together all week long. And so I believe this. They didn't just see each other at church. They saw each other outside the walls. They picked up groceries together. They raised their children together. They laughed together. I would even say this. Back in the L.A. Fitness of Jerusalem, they even worked out together. <laughs> Listen, what I'm really just trying to say is they lived life together. They made sure that they came together. Why? Because it was not supposed to be just see you next Sunday. They said, how are we going to walk this life out together all through the week? What they experienced, take this term down, they experienced koinonia. Koinonia. What koinonia means, it's the Greek meaning for the power of knowing and being known. I want you to say this with me. Say, I need to be, need to be. Known, known and I need to know others. One more time. Say, I need to be known I to be. and I need to know others. Know. Now, again, I know I'm pressing some people because you're like, I can do good all by myself. No, you can't. You might be able to do good, but can you be the greatness that God called you to be? And some of us have settled for doing good all by ourselves. 
And God said, I want to emancipate my greatness on the inside of you. But the greatness that I need to release, the keys are in somebody else's hands. And sometimes we want to be selfish Christians where we don't want to give out to someone else, not knowing that when we give, we actually are going to get it back 10 times. And so as we're looking at this, again, we, we operate in fellowship. We operate in joint participation and intimate sharing of life. Number three, the mark of the church was the breaking of bread. The early Christians knew that the power of a shared meal was very evident. Have you ever noticed that when you sit down with certain people, you learn a whole lot more about them that you would have learned just kind of walking by them? Even in our marriage, we've been married 12 years, and we will sit down and eat sometimes, and the food gets real good. All of a sudden, I'm talking about all types of stuff. I'm telling her all types of things from my childhood. It's like truth serum with some good chicken. <laughs> I'm joking, but I'm serious. If we could just slow down, if we could just prioritize being with someone, when is the last time that you actually broke bread with someone and you invited Jesus into the, the meal? More than God is good, God is great. God, I thank you for this plate. Amen. They understood that as they ate meals together, they also did communion. So they would look at each other in the eye and say, this is his body that was broken for you. Can I say this? When you take time and you have communion with another person, you share a meal with them, you stop focusing so much on you. And you start seeing the promise on the inside of them. And how many of us know, I think I'm in the right room, that all of us want to feel value. Can I get a show of hands? All of us want to feel value. And so we have to slow down and actually be able to look at somebody and break bread. Number four, the prayers, the prayers. They were a praying people in the first century church. They prayed with each other and for each other. You've heard the old adage, the family that prays together. But it's not just about praying with each other in spiritual environments. Do you know everywhere you go is a spiritual environment? Because you have the ability to call those things that be not as though they are. You have the ability to call people into faith. You have the ability that when you see one of your brothers or your sisters operating outside of the character of God, you can pray for them and hold them accountable. What is accountability? Accountability is I'm going to call you up to the goodness of God in your life. They did these four things, the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. I call this the essential recipe for the believer. And the reason why I want to call it the essential recipe for the believer is that with a good recipe, you can't opt out of one of the ingredients. Have you ever tried to make grandmama's bread pudding? And you try to make that thing, and you think you're trying to do it on memory, and then you make it, and it doesn't quite taste like hers tasted. And you call, and she was like, oh, baby, you forgot the nutmeg. We have to have every ingredient in this or else it would do damage to the others. Let me say that again. We need to have every ingredient to this or it would do damage to the other. What am I saying? Without the word of God, we will revert and conform to a worldly view. Without fellowship and common life, we can't maintain life with each other. We'll isolate ourselves and we'll die alone. Without breaking of bread, we will forget that Jesus' death and resurrection is at the center of all of our lives and that we need to come and call each other up together. When we don't pray for each other, watch this, we become self-absorbed. If you're not praying for other people, I could almost guarantee you, 
you probably are a narcissist. Somebody said, ooh. <laughs> See, I told you at the beginning, this is a heart message. Because so many times we come into church, we get hype and we run around, but we don't know how to live out this word. And God is saying, there's so much available to you, but you have to use my prescription. Here are some of the things that are available to us. Let me just kind of walk through this, because as we think about this, people need to see Jesus through you to actually know that God exists. I love the way that John says it in a message paraphrase about even the character of Christ. I said this last week that we are walking recommendations of the word of God. That when people see our lives, they're actually reading our lifestyles to see if they will believe what we say we say. But here's what John says in first, uh, uh, chapter 1 and verse 14 of the, uh, John in the message translation. He says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. I would venture to say, that the world will never know God until they see Jesus through us. The world will never know God until they see Jesus through us. And this is not to scare us. This is not to like bring us down like Pastor Mo, this is a downer. No, this is an exciting thing that we need to understand. We have an opportunity. What, what would it have been like if you never saw someone that it was worth you giving your life to Christ? We need to be a people that people look at our lives and say, it's worth me giving my life to Christ. And so here are a couple, four, uh, four, a few things that actually come from the marks of Christianity. Number one, awe, awe. If you've been living your life isolated and saying, if it has to be, it's up to me, and then somebody comes along and starts to give you help, you get awestruck. Because sometimes when people come around you to help you, you actually have now discovered, I didn't even know I needed help in that area. But without actually connecting with people, we will never know it. The next thing, the power of God. What did we say a few weeks ago? God pours out his spirit in unity. He pours out his spirit in unity. And the unity of God's spirit, it invites God in to actually do things we couldn't do by ourselves. Unity actually comes forth. When we break bread around a table, it's more than just the bread. Some of us are, some of us are like, well, I only eat one meal a day, so I'm going to opt out of that one. No. You can drink a smoothie right there with them. You can have a paleo diet right there with them. But what we do need to do, we need to make sure that we come around, that we share stories, that we're connecting. We say something around the community of victory. We say this, especially when it comes to offense. We say it's very hard to be offended at someone when you're asking them to pass the salt. What that simply means is that when I know I'm codependent, to live this life, when I know that we're supposed to fellowship together, now I see you more than just a person. I see you as a child of God and my brother and my sister. Provision comes forth when we operate in unity. Listen to this. I'm going to meddle just for a moment. If you're the primary income earner in your home, you should not be walking around saying, my car, my money, my bank account, my stuff. Why? Because when we come together, especially in the context of marriage, it's ours. I'm very intentional. Even Kendra and I, we do have two vehicles in our home. But what we try to practice is that I'm not saying your car, my car. Why? Because what happens? I've now made that thing an attachment more of mine than it being ours. 
And so it's a simple principle, but it shows how sometimes we get so wrapped up into the consumer mindset, into holding on. What's the next thing? We need to understand that in provision, and as they operated in Acts 2, this was not socialism. This was not where they were operating, you know, by edict of the government that they had to give stuff away. No, it was actually them saying, we're going to share together. Because as we own different things, we're able to give to somebody who has lack. They would sell things that they had in excess so other people would not have lack. Can I make this real personal right here to Victory and to myself? If you have 20 pairs of shoes that you haven't worn in six months to a year, it might be time to give at least one of those away. I'm talking to myself right now. <laughs> to myself. Somebody after the, after the uh, first service said, Pastor Mo, I'm not going to block my blessing if you wear the same size as me. <laughs> That's low-hanging fruit, but can we start to open ourselves up? Start really taking inventory and looking at your life with a lens of where do I have so much excess when I know people have lack? So provision is a thing that we need to understand. Another thing that comes forth is joy. Somebody say joy. In Acts 2, it says they received their food with glad and sincere hearts. They had joy with Jesus as they came around the table together, as they walked together. And here's the most important thing that we talk about that happens when we come together and operate with the marks of the church, salvation. Salvation. It says the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And we need to hear this today because living this everyday Christian life and living under the apostles' teaching, it has value to us but it draws so many other people to the things of God. And so we have an opportunity to be a witness in the things of God. And I just want to ask this question. How many people want to experience all these benefits? Come on, I think we do. Many of us want to experience all these benefits because why? I'm not satisfied with praising Jesus in here and not reflecting it out there. I want my lifestyle to live. I want to walk in incarnational Christianity where people see my life and say, I can do that too. I can walk in that too. So here's the thing, as we get ready to wrap this up, when we leave this place, when we talk about preach this gospel everywhere you go, we must leave here and live out this gospel, especially in this separatist society that we live in that always wants to divide us. We have to bear down and make a decision that I will not live divided that I'm going to live against the current, that I'm not going to be comfortable all the time, but the fruit that I'm going to get is actually going to be one that remains and is going to be worth my collaboration with the body. Because when you look back at Acts chapter 2, what we see here is that their unity is what actually tore down the walls of separation. They had a caste system where it was the rich over here and the poor over here or the Gentiles over here and the Jews over here. But what we saw them do was break it down. They saw Jews and Gentiles coming together. This is one of the reasons why we talk about small groups so much. Because it's a testimony when you have black, white, Asian, Caribbean, African, Hispanic, doctors, lawyers, entrepreneurs, stay-at-home moms, people that actually have, you know, blue-collar jobs, Democrats, Republicans, Republicrats, (laughs) people that you don't know which, which party they in. When we see us come together, people on the outside should look at us and say, how do you do that in an election year? How do you operate like that and come together and not tear each other's heads off? How do we do it? Our unity is actually the proof of God's lordship. 
Our unity is the proof of Jesus' lordship in our lives. Here it is. Our lifestyle should be able to preach the word without us saying a word. When people take inventory of their life, if they watch you long enough, they should be able to say, okay, I'm going to take some cues from how they live. Listen to this. I love how N.T. Wright says it. He says this. When Jesus' followers behave like this, they sometimes find, to their surprise, that they have a new spring in their step. There's an attractiveness and energy about a life in which we stop clinging on to everything we can get and start sharing it, giving it away, celebrating God's generosity by being generous ourselves. And that attractiveness is one of the things that draws other people in. My question to all of us is, is anybody curious about your Christianity? Are people looking at you asking questions about how they can walk in the same journey that you're walking in? And so people should be coming to faith each and every day, not because we say we are Christians and we go to church, but by how we live when we leave the church. As I close, I want to say this. What would it look like if we started operating in positive peer pressure? That we have accountability with each other, that when we see someone not operating in these marks, that the count accountability means that I'm calling you up to your potential. That we start praying for people, that we start having meals together, that we start sharing with each other, that we start coming together and really hearing the word and walking in the word. Because as I was writing this message, the Lord just paused me on this moment right here. And he said, Mo, there are some people that are going to hear the word today and are going to decide that I'm going to opt out of at least one of those four marks. And what he admonished me to do was to tell you that would be a detrimental mistake. Why? Because in all of these things, when you take one of them out, what you're doing is you're setting yourself up to be isolated. And the devil's trick is to get you isolated. The enemy always wants to get you isolated because he knows that when you're isolated, you'll always agree with yourself. When you're isolated, you'll always agree with the things that make you comfortable. And so I'm just here today to say, let's not be those who are accomplices to the enemy's mission. Let's not be those who ascribe to the religion of meism. But let's be people who come together and walk this thing out. And so there's some things that as we close today, I want to say we're going to commit to doing and what we're building here at this house. With this sober word today, we're going to build some things. What are they? They're on the screen. We're going to commit to building a community that unshakably builds on the supremacy of Jesus and his word. We're gonna be a people, a community that fervently prays for one another. We're gonna be a community that generously provides for each other's needs. We're gonna be a community that faithfully meets in church and in our homes, around the city, in our neighborhoods. We wanna be a people, a community that sincerely lives out the word of God together. And we want to be a community that boldly reaches out to people outside our community. Last thing, we need one another. Just say that out loud, very slow. Say, we need one another. The way I want to close this today is by putting an exclamation mark in the fact of what we can do with one another. Jesus, before he went to the cross, he got with his disciples, his closest friends, and he modeled this out by taking communion. We're going to take communion now. You should have received communion elements on your way in. If you didn't, just raise your hand and our ushers can get some to you. 
But as you're preparing to take communion, this is a moment where we can understand, just like those in the book of Acts, we're able to take a sober moment and say, my salvation is just not about me. It's about the people I do life with. And so if you would, if you're in this room right now, as you're still receiving the elements, I want to kind of say a prayer because I want to make sure that the house is covered. If you will bow your heads for a moment. If you're in this room or in one of our overflow rooms or under the sound of my voice in any fashion, and you would say, I recognize that I can't do this life alone. And before I reach out to another individual, I need to reach out to Jesus. If Jesus Christ is not your Lord and your Savior, if you've not repented of your sins, if you're not confident that when you die, you will go to heaven, if you're not confident that as you live today, you have the help of God with you because of Jesus, and you want to accept him as your Lord and Savior today, I want you to lift your hand very intentionally right now. I don't want you to just do it out of a haphazard moment. I want you to lift your hand. I see you all over the room. I see you in our overflow rooms. There are people there to serve you in our overflow rooms all over. You can put your hands down. Can we repeat this prayer after me? Say, Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I believe you died on the cross for me. Today I repent, which means I changed my mind. I changed my mind about my way of living and about my way of being. And I take on your mind and ask for your help to live. Today I proclaim that you are my Lord and you are my Savior. And I am a child of God from this day forward. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hallelujah. Can you stand on your feet all over the room? We're gonna take communion together. I hope you really heard the heart of what God is saying to us today. And as we talked about this soberly today, you're gonna be tested and challenged on this this week. And what I want to happen is that as we find ourselves kind of drifting into isolation, that we push back into community. And so in this moment, just take out the bread. Take out the bread. What this bread represents is the broken body of Jesus. The Bible says, this was my body that was broken for you. This is Jesus saying, I allowed my body to be broken so that you can be whole. But here it is. We prayed for healing earlier in the service. But in this moment, what we're saying is that we want all of us to be whole. It's not just enough for me to be healed. It's not just enough for me to be whole. I want my neighbor to be whole. And so as a community, let's say this together before we take of the bread. Say, we are healed. Say, we are whole. Take together and eat. Open up the cup. The cup represents the blood of Jesus that gives us forgiveness of sin. And this is what I believe. Some of us don't have a problem with Jesus forgiving us. We have a problem with forgiving other people. And so as we have been forgiven, as we just made that confession of faith unto Jesus, I want us to take this moment to forgive some people that might come to your mind right now. And so take a moment, just, just close your eyes for a moment, about 10 seconds, get somebody in your mind that you might need to forgive. Get somebody in your mind that you may be holding onto a grudge. 
Maybe someone who borrowed that money from you and still haven't paid you back. Get their name in your mind. As a community of believers, what we're saying is that we forgive you as we've been forgiven. The same grace that we receive because of Jesus' sacrifice, we want to operate in that same grace. And so in concert together, let's say this. I forgive you as I've been forgiven. Say, Jesus, thank you for your blood that washes away every sin. Let's take now and drink together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you right now for your grace, for your mercy. We thank you, God, that as we receive this word, we think that it is instruction for us on how to live. And God, we will not harden our hearts, but we will walk according to your way and according to your word. Father, let this word go deep down in our hearts to be sober so that we can live it out and so that the world can see us operating with one another as a testimony of your goodness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Can you give God praise right there for those who gave their lives to Christ? For us being able to receive this word, listen, if you need to throw away your elements, there's buckets coming across the aisle. Young is going to come let us uh, leave today. God bless you, Victory Midtown. We love you.